few pastoral comments before we dive into the Word this morning, kind of a uh, one-off week. We're going to look mainly at a thing about small groups and community, but a few pastoral comments for you. First of all, I want to say thank you to so many of you that um, filled out the survey that we gave evaluating our last series. A little over 100 of you did. Um, I, I hear that's a good ratio when it comes to surveys. I don't know. I was hoping for almost everyone, but... Uh, uh, that, that's a good sign from what I've heard, over 100 of you. So thank you. We've got some really good feedback, some good comments. We're going to share more of the quantitative results of those in the next few weeks. But uh, even just the comments, uh, that's hard to quantify those. Just they, they were very helpful from a range of ideas and the feedback. So I just want to say thank you. I'm, I'm a big guy on feedback. I, I've said before, I think it's the breakfast of champions. I think without it, uh, we get a lot of blind spots. And so it's just good to have you speak. I think you spoke very honestly to us. I really, really appreciate that. So thank you very much. Uh, speaking of, of, of just uh, moments of honesty and being able to, to speak about things in that way, uh, we have about 367 of you as of this morning who have signed up for small groups. That's pretty good. That's probably inching right around the 80% mark of our adults. I'm not sure exactly, but it's probably close. So if you've yet to sign up for your small group, today is not the deadline, but today is the day, all right? I would encourage you, do it online. Uh, you can step down to the cafe. I met someone earlier who's thinking about maybe um, uh, inviting some folks who are here, and they're kind of new, and they're going to be talking about how they can get that going. And uh, some of the folks that are looking to uh, visit you here this morning say, where can I find out about groups? So I Twitter to the cafe with one of our other uh, members here. So if you need um, face-to-face, kind of eyeball-to-eyeball help, stop by our cafes downstairs and just say, hey, walk me through small groups. Word's a good op- option for me. If you prefer maybe the, the privacy of your home to kind of look through them, go online, ffcgroups.com. But regardless, I hope all of you will try a small group and get involved. And, and, and if you've not been in one yet, please uh, seek one out, and if you are in one, and someone looks like they're not sure they are in one, just invite them. If they say they're in one, no problem. If they're not, invite them to yours. I know the sheet says full sometime, but that's, I mean, I submit to our small group department on that. That's the right thing to do, but boy, you talk about telling a pastor something that he doesn't like the word full. No pastor likes the word full, okay? <laughs> but Chris and those guys, they're right about that, but if, if you think your group's full, and I mean, it, just don't get left out of the family aspect of first family, okay? And we'll do all we can to help you find the right group. So speaking of small groups, maybe even if you're in one, you're wondering, what really are they all about? Like, why is there an annual emphasis to get into a small group? And and what's the point of them? And is there like a a goal? And what's the design behind them? Uh, We've we've been, been in small groups since the very beginning. We would say, as I wrote to you this week, we are a church of small groups, not necessarily a church with small groups. It's our primary um, connection point for shepherding and discipleship. It's kind of where everything happens. That doesn't mean there aren't other good things, women's ministries, men's uh, classes. Those are all things that are helpful. But we would say, and those leaders know this, that if you're not in a small group, but you're in everything else, we would ask you to consider switching that. First and foremost, make sure you're in a lighthouse because that's where your primary shepherding occurs. So what's the point of those? Why why are we so big on those? I think there are four words that would describe what we're after in our lighthouses. They come right out of a single verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, 
verse 8. It doesn't mean that every small group's got there yet, but this is, this is where we're headed. This is the goal. This is what we're after. The four words would be these. Uncommon community and unstoppable commission. Would you say them with me? Uncommon community, unstoppable commission. I take those from 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where these four words, I believe, are beautifully pictured. We open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and I want us to analyze and kind of uh, dissect a singular verse that's within the chapter that actually describes these four words even, even bigger and better. You're going to find these four words all over 1 Thessalonians 2. But because I couldn't teach that whole chapter even in a whole day, I thought I'll pick one verse and we'll just zero in on that like a laser. And we'll see how these four words are, are really beautifully described and illustrated here in Paul's ministry among the Thessalonians, all right? I think I want to read the verse to you, then I want to go to our lab for a few moments and just kind of in a basic way break it down for you. We won't spend long there, but I kind of want to show you a little bit of kind of how I, how I arrive where I arrive. Um, I'll show you a picture of it today. If you have some questions, text them in. I won't get through them in the message today. Uh, but we will either answer those in my blog or perhaps we'll make a video and post it, even though 80% of you in the survey said you'd prefer the questions be answered live. I can't promise every week we can do that, but you spoke loudly on that, didn't you? 80% said we love the Q&A and we want it live. But today I'm going to go with the 20%, okay? Uh, just for time reasons. Uh, we'll probably answer those later. Um, but here's this verse. We'll take some q and I want to kind of break this out, show you a picture of it in the current... Uh, culture, and then we'll kind of look at three things that make this happen. So that's kind of where our journey is today. Here's the verse that I think describes, at least in the Thessalonian culture and in, within Paul's ministry, uncommon community and an unstoppable commission, which are words that would describe really the goal, the target of our small groups. The Bible says, so, and again, you'll need to read the context and chapter. I trust you will on your own. So being affectionately desirous of you. Here's Paul describing his feelings to the Thessalonians. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. One more time, let's read it. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Let me just in a very basic way kind of break this down for you and show you why I think that the posture of, an, of a person who is committed to uncommon community and the unstoppable commission we've been given, that person has a ready-to-share posture. Okay, let's look at our lab for a few moments, can we? This is what I think is the main phrase in this verse. And they're going to hook me up back there, hopefully, and we're going to pray that it works. Um, we good? We're waiting. Perfect, there we go. So you see verse 8 here. Here's why I say that the, the verb ready to share is really the primary posture of Paul 
towards these Thessalonians. You'll see it in the whole chapter, but here's the verse I think uh, summarily pictures it for us. It's the phrase, ready to share. Okay, If you underline your Bible, I know we've got a guy here with a brand new Bible this week. I hope he will mark it up big time in this one verse. Get that Bible worn in on week one, right? Here's the main thing Paul is saying. We were ready to share, and there's two things he was going to share. The gospel of God, and then their own selves. So there are two things. He was going to share about the Lord. We'll just use this word, the Lord. He was going to share about their life. Now, I'll explain more maybe later if we have a minute or two. But let me just intro this topic by saying small groups, church ministry is about both of these. In my experience, and I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not the best small group leader. I probably do better in this environment. Uh, we've got some folks in our small group. We, Julie and I lead one with dismissed. They co-lead with us. And they kind of endure our leadership, probably me and Julie's a little bit. Maybe they love Julie's, but I'm not the greatest small group leader. I tend to want to lecture too much. But a small group that only does one of these isn't going to experience, really, I think, what Paul describes here. Because he says, man, we wanted to share with you, yes, the gospel of God. But notice this phrase, not only. He's almost saying this, that, that something more was happening as we shared the gospel. And he says, we were willing to share our own selves. So in this community, as Paul entered into it, went to the synagogues first, taught about the Lord. Then some Greeks, you know, from Acts 17, the Greeks believed, other women it appears that they begin to watch Paul and they begin to listen to Paul and they begin to say, hey, apart from your message or in conjunction with your message, we'll say that, what about your life would say, yes, you love us? And Paul says, we gave you, yes, the message, but we also gave you our heart, our life. Why? Two things kind of bracket this verse. They were affectionately desirous and they were very dear. Two words that speak of love, of love, of deep feelings. And he says even here that it was because they were affectionately desirous, it's because they had become dear, that they were ready to share not just the gospel, but their very own selves. Let me show you how I look at this if I were to do a chart. Some of you like charts. I would put ready to share kind of up here. Two things are happening in a ready-to-share kind of posture. They share about the Lord, and they share their life. But what kind of bookends this kind of lifestyle? Now there's the abbreviate here. Because they're dear to us, and because we are affectionately, affectionately desirous towards them. Does that make sense? So as you look at this verse, understand, Paul is saying that his desires for them, his love for them, his longing for them caused him to go beyond just lecturing about the message he had received, just giving them content only. He said, man, we opened our chest cavity and we poured our life out to you. That's an uncommon kind of community, and yet it's undergirded and supported by an unstoppable commission. Now, notice some words I chose there. I did not say unstoppable mission. I actually said unstoppable what? Because we have been sent by one who owns the mission. Are you listening to me, church? Sometimes church planters and churches, we get to thinking that it's our mission, that, that we're kind of driving this, that we have to invent it and create and, 
and develop or else it may, it may flop. Jesus Christ will not let his mission fail to bring all of his people together into one body. Amen, church? And as the Father has sent him, here's what he said to the disciples, so send I you. And I think it's a better, and I'm not against the word mission, but in this context, it is probably a better word users to say that we are on an unstoppable commission. We have been sent by Jesus to not only share a message, but to share ourselves. So we are part of an unstoppable commission. And when that occurs, and as that occurs, we experience uncommon community. That's how I arrive at that from the lab. By the way, if you were to read the verses around it, both prior to verse 8 and after verse 8, you'll find that Paul says, man, you, you, you are like children to us. He said, we acted like a mother around you. We acted like a father around you. We worked night and day when we were with you. So you can see him just saying, man, we, we lived our life uh, transparently, vulnerably, right in front of you. And in the whole time we're living that way among you, we're sharing the message with you. So uncommon community really is about sharing about the Lord and about our life. It's both. It's not just one or the other. And in small groups of first family, we desire both. Deep fellowship, but really good content. And so we've kind of structured our staff. We've built our groups. With all things we do are designed to help you pursue deep sharing about the Lord and about your life. So that's kind of our lab today. That's kind of how we got there. I'll kind of put this in a, in a single sentence for you, Cammie. I think you kind of know what I'm going to say already because I've used some words already. But let's, let's show our take-home truth for today. Here's what I think is true, not only about the ones in this context, Thessalonica, Paul's ministry to them, and their, their environment of small groups, their environment of a large group, their environment of that church. But I'd say what's true and what should be true of us in our pursuit of small groups. That as they pursued uncommon community and the unstoppable commission given to them, it was best seen by a ready-to-share posture. And that doesn't mean just your lips only. Your whole life, your whole self. It means being willingly open about your Lord and your life. And in this context, it's a plural context. Paul's speaking of his team, those who were with him, as well as those who joined him in that city. And he says, when we were with you, we, just, we adopted, we, we embraced this posture that, man, our life is an open book. We are willingly, eagerly open. We have nothing to hide. We're ready to share with you, yes, about the Lord and about our life. When that comes together, uncommon community, is bound to happen. It's the inevitable result of the right ingredients. Remember, again, I want to say this to you, it's both of these things. And sometimes groups, and I would say perhaps even churches, but for sure, smaller groups miss out on uncommon community. They may have community, but the type that you can hardly describe, the kind of like, man, in our group, it's just hard to put into words how this thing functions and what I sense from each other, how we love each other. 
It's because both are in place. There's a vulnerability, a transparency, an authenticity. They're not afraid to live their life in, in, in openness around them, each other, around each other. And then they, they root that in sharing about the Lord. It's not just like some random, uh, you know, honesty about who knows what and without any kind of foundation. As they're honest and as they share, then it's all brought back to, here's what Jesus says about that. And those two things in place, a ready-to-share posture about those two elements, man, the, the, the result is going to be an uncommon kind of community and an unstoppable kind of commission that you'll see happen in your group. Now, that's their picture. Where's this scene today? We could have gone to many of you probably who are experiencing this, who have experienced this. Last year I showed you a portrait of my son and his wife and their testimony from their small group experience. Here's one for this year. Watch how this very same principle, this idea of uncommon community, impacted the double date. Watch this portrait with me, would you? I'm Chad Doubleday. And I'm Becky. And this is our story of how God brought our family to FFC. So Chad has lived here all his life, and I moved to Ankeny in 2000. We got married in 2004, and we were attending a church in another community. And in late 2010, God really put a desire in my heart to attend a church in our community where we could get involved and plugged in. So in March of 2011, our good friends and neighbors, uh, their little boy who was two years old had a series of seizures and he had a brain injury and ended up in the hospital here in Des Moines. And we immediately saw their lighthouse from church, from FFC, um, just come around them. And they were bringing food, they were bringing gas cards, they were offering to mow the yard or do spring cleanup. Just anything and everything. It was just nice to see the, the outpouring of love and, and just for our family. And, and, and we didn't know any of these people, and they just showed up at our door with food or or whatever you know that this family needed. And it was just it was just a neat thing to see. And we wanted uh, more of that. I guess is what we we're looking for. And so I remember it was Memorial Weekend and of 2011 and I woke up and I said I'm going to First Family today to visit. Does anybody want to come with me? And uh, Chad said yeah I'm coming and our girls um, were both excited because they knew some kids that went to FFC and so we jumped in the car went for our first service there Memorial Weekend. I got out, got out of the service and uh, I don't think I've ever said it before but I said this is our church this is where we're going to go so both of our girls before we were out of the parking lot said can we come back next week and so it's just confirmation for us that that's where God God wanted us to be and so we just uh, knew this is this is where we're gonna be and we made the transition from our from our old church and really jumped in a hundred percent at first family and got to know more families each week we met new people and got to know new families and we would see people that we'd see at a park or we would see people we'd met at the library and 
One of those was um, actually the lighthouse leaders that we are in um, with now. And uh, I had met Britta Robran at the library. And so when we came to FFC and made that connection, they invited us Labor Day weekend, 2011, to a picnic at their house with their lighthouse. And uh, when the lighthouse expo um, came around, we just we signed up signed up to be a part of the Robran Lighthouse, we, we had thought, okay, this is, um, if we get a fraction from this lighthouse and get to be a part of what we saw um, from the Roby Lighthouse that came um, alongside our friends, the Webbs, then uh, we're excited to see what God has for, for our family and how he can, can use us and use this small group. We're still a part of the lighthouse, of the Robran Lighthouse that we joined uh, in 2011 when we started at First Family. And we have just, God has just blessed us with uh, some really close friends that have, that are more like family to us. Like extended family. That's and, what I consider. Um, they've come into our home um, and studied the, God's Word with us. We have had countless more picnics and lake days and um, fun activities, but we know that this group of people is there and if you send out a prayer request, we know there's immediately families and people that are, that are praying for us and they would be here in a heartbeat if something, if we needed something. And I remember us saying, I remember saying to you and you agreeing that this is what church is. It's not just going on a Sunday, Sunday morning. And listening to the preacher, you know, going home, and doing it next Sunday or Wednesday night or whatever the case may be. Um, I really feel like God has just brought friendships and genuine friendships into my life through the women in my lighthouse, and I can be myself. Um, I don't. I don't have to be somebody's mom or somebody's wife or the children's director or or anybody I can just, just be Becky you. and there's something that's really safe um, about that and I've gained that those sent those friendships at first family and it started in our lighthouse and then God has just brought other women into my life that I don't, I don't feel alone anymore. I don't feel that we're isolated on our own island and I'm, we're raising our kids and doing this alone. I feel like we have this group of people that we get to do this with now. So as we look back over the last five or six years, back to really 2010, it's just neat to see what God has been doing in each of us individually, and then for us as a couple, and for us as a family. And he, you know, really started with the desire in my heart. And then Chad was on board with that. Um, and it's just been neat to see how many different connections we've had. And there were, you know, people we were meeting in the community and all these pieces of the puzzle that you know, God knew the finished puzzle, and we were just seeing a piece at a time. And it's been really neat to see these last six years how God has just continued to put 
piece by piece together the puzzle for our family. First century illustration of uncommon community and an unstoppable commission. Yeah, it's, it's centuries beyond what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 2, but it's the same thing happening. Now, I want you to notice something. That what they watched with Mike and Deborah Webb in that situation, very traumatic. I remember when that occurred? What they watched was the Roby Lighthouse just doing what people do when your friends are in distress. And so they watched the gas cards, the food, the, the, the lawn mowing. They watched all that happen. Is that what they were after? No. Now, they mentioned that there. They really weren't saying, oh, where's a church where we can get gas cards and lawn mowing? Because to say that would also be to say, well, where's the next really difficult trial that I can undergo? That's not what they're saying. But that's what people initially see. They see tangible effects of love. Are you with me? They see people just doing stuff that seems like uncommon, like extraordinary. Why would you do that? Because we love these people and they're in dire need right now. And so what they were actually desiring and looking for is community. You know, at the end, they talked about not feeling isolated anymore. My guess is there are people here in this room, and you may be regularly attending here, but you feel like you're one of, like, just, you're, like, alone. Like you have a lighthouse of one. You meander in, you find your seat. And what Chad and Becky said is actually true. If, if that's all you have is a meandering into a service, and you kind of enjoy and get something out of that, then you leave, and for six days you're not in relationship with anybody deeper than that? That's not church. That may be an American teaching service. But that's not the way God designed you to relate and interact with the body of Christ. I would say if you're here and you too are looking for community, some friends you can kind of just do life with. Man, sign up for a small group. Without apology, shame or embarrassment. I think it is the best avenue within this church to experience what this verse talks about. People sharing about the Lord and sharing their life with you. Now because I believe review is the key to learning, and every teacher in the room said what? That's right, amen, you're exactly right. Can I just again briefly review for you the three things in here? I've said them, I haven't listed them, but I've kind of said them in roundabout ways. I just want to give you again the three things from this verse that I think are integral to, to this um, situation. What has to be in place for us to experience uncommon community, the unstoppable commission, what was true in this situation as well as in Chad and Becky's and many of yours. Three things, I'll mention them somewhat briefly. They're in the verse. They're mentioned throughout the context. I'll give them to you succinctly. First of all, affection. He says they were affectionately desirous of these Thessalonian believers. This is the only time in the New Testament this word is mentioned. In fact, 
some of my research, it's difficult to, to know where this word comes from. There's debate about does it come from some sense of remembering people and so you then think fondly of them. And so there's a, there's a good debate. It's the only time it's mentioned. And, and the best understanding we have is that this is somewhat related to and has its connection to the, the, the longing of love that a person feels. Now, some of you know my daughter got engaged last Monday night. So she's getting married soon. What she has in her heart is a longing for love about Greg. Now, I have two daughters still left at home, so Brandon got engaged, not Brooke. Let's make sure we clear that up. <laughs> Which of my remaining daughters is getting married, okay? Let's, whoo, here, we got that settled, okay. So, you know, Brandon and Greg are in love. They got this wedding date planned. So Monday night they came home from their little proposal time and they're sharing and it was, it was great. But what she has in her heart is this longing of love for Greg. I thought of that immediately when I read this word and did some study on it. it. There's something about this word that says Paul was longing for them. He had some, something in his heart, just wanted to be with them and help them and affectionately desires. This is part and parcel to uncommon community. He later says, you were dear to us. The word dear here is the word for, it's from the root word agape, which means a sacrificial love. So on both ends of this situation, what is Paul saying? We had an incredible, and I believe a God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired and empowered love for you. The kind that would sacrifice and go to great lengths because we long to love you. That's what's in play in uncommon community. How does someone arrive at that? How do you get that? Is it, do, you, do you kind of muster it up? You know, is it like a feeling? Is it just a fuzzy-wuzzy kind of thing you pray comes over you? I think the next two things feed that. He says they share the gospel of God. And we won't spend long here. I'll just say this in regards to how it feeds the first one. We would not be able to love anyone had God not loved us. Church, listen with both ears. By nature, we are bent towards loving ourselves. But when God moves in and changes our appetites and regenerates us, justifies us, converts us, adopts us, and sanctifies us, something happens. We begin to love other people. Not because we just naturally lean that way. Trust me, you don't. (laughs) But because God has put it in your heart to do that. Which is why he said in the New Testament, we are taught by God to love one another. I think I said in our very first year, I call this a triciprocal relationship. One that involves love between me and God and then love between me and the other person. And without God loving us and without us understanding that and swimming in that and rejoicing in that, our love for others suffers. We'll eventually so I just want to say that the gospel at some point in every small group must include and have as its foundation the fact that God 
loved us and moved our behalf in Christ when we were unworthy sinners. Because that's what generates and motivates all other love, okay? Much more can be said about the gospel of God, surely. It's mentioned five times in this chapter. Did you know that? In my Bible, I've circled gospel of God and I've drawn a line to every other reverence of the gospels. I want it to be clear to me when I read this again. Wow, this was foundational to their experience of uncommon community. But in this message, may it suffice to say that this is what I believe what fed their, 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 their affectionate desires, their, their dearness. So much so that it says they not only shared the gospel of God, they also then shared their very own selves. This is where I don't like the translation of the ESV. Because the King James, I think the New American Standard also has the word souls. It's the word suke. It's a better word. It's a better translation here. They didn't just like share about themselves. I mean like, uh, you know, something random or something surfacy. The, the best word is men. They shared from the very depth of their being. They were authentic. So they didn't go to their lighthouse, take out their nice printed handout from Dr. Chris Eller, and sit around in Thessalonica and say, okay, eight questions, let's answer them. And then they spit out the answers rotely. That didn't happen. That was fictitious, hypothetical, by the way. In case you're like, man, they had those back then. No, they, they didn't, okay. There's something, some kind of sharing's going on here that's beyond the paper. It's beyond just the question. It's beyond just the, the normal. It's like, man, we, we weren't afraid to be transparent, authentic with you. And I think the next few verses explain some of how this happened. It says, because you remember, brother, our labor and toil, we worked night and day. We did not want to be a burden to any of you. I think one of the things Paul was willing to share with him was this. He knew he had a right to being supported by those who benefited from the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9. He knew that. And yet, because there was the tendency and perhaps the potential danger that that would be misinterpreted in that culture, there were other ones known as false apostles. They even called themselves at times super apostles. And so they would say things like, well, you shouldn't take money from the churches. You shouldn't be supported by the believers. So to keep the gospel from being attacked, and he would say later to make sure that no one has any reason to, uh, to uh, malign it, Paul often chose to work a job and still minister to make sure that no one misinterpreted his motives and would hear the gospel without any reason to reject it. I think he shared that with these guys because he says, you remember how we work night and day? We didn't want to be a burden to you. I think they probably asked him, hey, Paul, man, why are you so busy? I mean, you're night and day. You're, you, can't you hang out with us a little more? What's going on? He says, God, I got to work. Why do you got to work, Paul? Well, here's why. And he began to open up his soul and his chest cavity and share honest and be authentic and, and vulnerable about why he's going to these great lengths. That's what happened in their experience. That led to an increased love among them. So what you find are three things within this. Affection, which I think is fed by the gospel and also fed by authenticity. All three of these are part of and make up uncommon community and an unstoppable commission. Let's go to our lab one more time. I want to show you something that is not rocket science but I think it will maybe help our small group leaders. It may give you a target for this year. 
if, if you were to ask me, Todd, when does this occur? When does the explosion of uncommon community and an unstoppable commission, when would the double day thing be replicated? When's that going to happen? How do, how do we get there? Let's take those three things. Let's label them. By the way, they're all A's. So what's the first one? Affection. Good answer. A little slow. Good answer. The second one is admonition. The third one. And all three of those are good. But I think the place where they merge. There's a word for this that slips in my mind right now. Thank you. That place. (laughs) That's when you see uncommon community and an unstoppable commission. When the gospel has motivated a love that you just don't see every day. And you realize, wow, they're so stinking authentic. How would they even know that about that person to know that? And all these things in your head are going through like, man, they must really be tight for them to know that and then for them to help them that way. Like, they must be best friends or something. Yeah. At that place right there, the world looks, other believers look, other FFCers look and say, wow, that's an uncommon kind of community. Only God could spark that. So I'm calling on all of our Lighthouse leaders and all of our Lighthouse members and all of you who are going to sign up today as well. I'm calling on you this year to pursue at least three things. Say them with me. Affection, admonition. Now you're going to say, well, we do that, Todd. I agree with you. We do that. Will you do it in a way that, um, will you not let folks slip by or take a detour and off-ramp when this gets tough? Chris has been challenging us this past month that it's time to get small. He's used the word deep relationships. Authenticity, affection, admonition, and that will kind of propel that. In your groups, maybe split the men and women up. This will happen more quickly when the group is smaller. Maybe there's other ways you want to do that. I'm just trying to encourage you. Affection, authenticity, and admonition. When they meet and merge, it's in that place that suddenly uncommon community explodes in a group. I know I myself, even this morning, just knelt down and prayed in my office, and I said, God... I mean, I admit I'm not the best small group. I told that earlier. And I love our small group. I love those guys. And, and they would probably agree with you. But I've committed myself. I just, I just don't want to let us get by with the right answers. And I find a lot of joy in the right answer, by the way. Okay? <laughs> I like what words mean. I like to see things organized. And, that, and only, even on the survey, some people kind of said, you know, sometimes it gets a little odd, Todd, when it's just like, like seminary. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't want to be a seminary teacher. I want to be a pastor to you. So I just said to myself, you know, God, help me in my group this year to not just let us give the right answer. But, but why is that the right answer? And in what ways does that right answer need to kind of prick at us and tweak us? Does that make sense? I'm in for these three because I'd love to see this area, this, this place 
where when these three merge, it just, it's just uncommon community and the ensemble commission just explodes. And someone says, wow, that, that's what I'm after. They're not after the gas card or the pie or the meal or the babysitting. That's not what they're saying. Don't hear that. They're saying, you've got something that God has engendered, that God has birthed. How can I get a part of that? That's what they're saying. And isn't that what we're here for? To let other people see just how magnificently glorious God is by the way we love each other. That's what he told his disciples. That men will know you're my disciples. Watch this. When you have, say it with me, love one for another. I'll repeat this again. He did not say the world would know that you're his when you love the world. That's not what he said. We're all for mission. It's in our DNA. We love outreach. But the way the world sees that we belong to Christ is the way we love each other. It's the uncommon community that really kind of empowers the unstoppable commission in some ways. And both of them really make up what the church does. So this year, would all of our leaders, all of our staff, all of our members say, okay, yeah, we've agreed with this. We, we would say, yeah, we were thumbs up on that. But this year, it's a laser-like focus on uncommon community and an unstoppable commission. We're in. I trust you will and have a great small group season. Will you pray with me, please?